This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Well, hello and welcome back to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters, Head of Retail Strategy at Acadia, and today I'm joined by Colleen Besaden, Global E-Commerce Director of Key Retailers at Mondelez. Welcome, Colleen. Hi, Kiri. It's great to be here. Yeah, great to see you again. We first met back at uh, the Retail Innovation Conference and Expo in Chicago a few months ago, and we've been meaning to get an interview on the books for a while, so it's good to see you again. Yeah, likewise. So Colleen has extensive experience in sales, customer marketing, and digital commerce, working with a variety of retail customers and brands over the last 20 years. She moved into the digital commerce space over 10 years ago, initially in the baby gear industry with newer brands, one of the first digitally shopped categories, and now with Mondelez. She has supported these companies through their digital transformation and Amazon education. So I want to come back to your career story and what you what your scope is at Mondelez but I want to just jump right in with a question about that uh, experience at at Rice which was a, a quote that you had around the choice to be as active as a brand on marketplaces like Amazon because that's where consumers prefer to shop so I'd love to hear about how you arrived at that conclusion Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, honestly, you need to be where the customer is. And I think this is what I talked about at Rice is that, um, you know, we can't continue to sell product that we sell in the brick and mortar stores into the marketplace channels. They are looking for for different things. It doesn't fit from a profitability perspective, but in general, we just need to be able to follow where that consumer is. And I think there's tons of information that you can look at and seeing the trends of where, you know, retailers growth is happening, you know, looking at where the shopper is is researching and um, trying to find that and it's evolving. And I think you know, the reality is we need to be where that customer is shopping um, and provide solutions that they're looking for today. Absolutely. Yeah. I, th- I think that that is more common knowledge today than it was even five, e- even five years ago. It was very much like, well, which retailer do we want to drive the purchase through? Or where, where do we want to reach the, the customer as a brand? And today it's more that concept is, is much more commonly held. Yeah. I mean, we do a lot of studies of path to purchase, you know, where, where does mm-hmm. that path that the consumer is going through. And, you know, obviously there's been a huge change over the last five years, but also just thinking about the the shoppers that are coming, you know, down the road that they're just, you know, only have shopped online. And so I think that's something that we, you know, keep in mind all the time and and really try to continue to evolve, you know, for for the shoppers and where they want to be. Is there any, was there any counterintuitive lessons that you learned from that path to purchase analysis that might be, that that you found surprising? I mean, honestly, the fact that they're just all over the place, the shopper. (laughs) Um, And I think it's not um, like a, a direct path that we've all been accustomed to in the past. And, you know, the shopper is going to go here, they're going to go there. I think the reality is the lines are blurring so much. Um, in this space. And so the customer, and they're changing their mind, you know, they, you know, in our space, we sell food and snacks, but uh, the consumer may be looking to go to a brick and mortar store to pick up something for a party, but they may also be shopping online for that party. So, you know, providing different solutions.
And so I think the reality, it's not so clear cut as we almost want mm-hmm. it to be, um, that mm-hmm. it is, you're going to have to, you know, kind of see the, the blending um, and have solutions for the customers, but also try to, you know, try to, to set some lines in the sand too, to make it a little bit easier in your overall, you know, strategy and channel mix. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can't imagine that things haven't changed even in the last year or so with a newer channels like TikTok. So whatever you whatever you understood the path to purchase to be a few years ago has probably changed again. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's, you know, you constantly need to look at it on a regular basis and also make sure like the breadth of people that you're talking to are wide, right? Uh, because yeah. it is it is changing rapidly. Well, let's, let's take a step back, as I promised we would, to talk a little bit about your your purview at Mondelez, what um, what channels do you oversee? What does your team look like? What are the sort of what what KPIs are you tracking? Yeah, sure. So so I'm on our global digital commerce team at Mondelez. So for those who don't know Mondelez, we sell delicious snacks. Oreo is one of our brands. Um, um, Ritz and Chips Ahoy, Sour Patch Kids. Uh, we have a big global company with some, you know, chocolate brands is very big for us in Europe, um, like Cadbury and Milka, Toblerone. So just to give a little example of some of the brands we work with. So I'm on our global digital commerce team, a center of excellence team with a handful of other people that we support, you know, various old markets on their digital transformation and their acceleration in the digital commerce space. So bringing best practices from one market to another, you know, helping to educate the um, really the, the entire um, enterprise company um, and, um, you know, really helping accelerate that growth. Specifically, I work on Amazon globally. So um, I support our global relationship as well as supporting the market specifically with Amazon and our assortment strategy um, globally. So what are those right packs that we need to win um, in the channel? So I, I work a lot on the marketplace side of it, um, which is why we you know, we're connecting at Rice, um, but um, also supporting them, you know, a variety of other ways. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that the marketplaces that are important in each global region are different as well. So you need to be Amazon fluent, but, you, you know, there's lots of marketplaces that are uh, strong in the EU, for example, that we obviously don't have in the yeah, US. Yeah, they're definitely at different stages of development. And um, like in EMEA, like our, you know, um, Southeast Asia, China, India, you know, clearly bigger um, regions mm. um, where marketplaces, you, know, you have to win in marketplaces. Um, you know, U.S. Mm. is unique ground where it's a mix. You know, you have really strong Omni, you have really strong marketplaces. And and, and honestly, in Europe, it, they're more underdeveloped in the marketplaces. Um, and so they're mm. earlier on their journey. Um, and it's really where the retailers are and what's available to the the consumer. And so we use this global team to help us, you know, see the learnings across the globe and in different channels, which is which is helpful. Yeah, but they all play a little bit different roles. So you mentioned that you leverage those different marketplaces to understand shopper preferences and inform selection. Could you give some examples of that? Yeah, I mean, there's um, a variety of things that we do with really understanding the trends and the, and the consumer sentiment, like what are they looking for online? 
as you know, there's, um, especially marketplaces, there's really very low barrier to entry. So we do see emerging trends, emerging brands starting their journey online and, and often being very successful. So, you know, we look at both how the consumer is shopping from a search perspective, what's winning today, uh, how is that consumer searching to get to that winning item? And then, you know, really, um, what are these emerging trends that are happening? And we use that to really help us um, build our strategy. Obviously, what's unique with marketplaces is the the amount of information that's there from a search perspective and a review perspective. I feel like on Amazon in particular, people feel super comfortable to tell you what they think. They're not getting paid to do it, you know, in most cases. And, um, and you know, so you really get to see what the customer is saying about, you know, our products, other products. So there's just a variety of information that you can utilize to develop that strategy. Mm-hmm. And I'll say it takes time um, for sure, because we have to, you know, change the way that we work internally. But the data is available to help us continue to refine that. Yeah, I heard of a, um, well, I, was, I spoke with a jewelry brand a few years ago who was using the US based and then they used Amazon in the e- various EU markets as sort of a testing ground for what assortment was going to work in each of those markets. And they found that, you know, a, a shopper in Germany had very different taste in in jewellery compared to a customer in Spain. And they used their Amazon marketplace as their test ground before they went and launched with D2C or in, in other channels as well. Yeah, if, you, if, if, you've, if there are any other anecdotes that you have around like, you know, whether it's marketplace by marketplace or market by market, anything comes yeah, to mind definitely. there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it is different by market. And with food, it's even a little bit more complex. Like it's it's a little bit more difficult mm. to bring one brand to another market because the regulations are different. Um, now, you could do a lot of testing within Europe, um, you know, because it's, you know, you can free flow of goods within Europe. Um, but usually we set it up for a particular market. Um, but that's where a little bit more testing can be done. But where we've seen, um, or kind of been a bit more advanced um, in the testing space is more in China, uh, where we have like an innovation mm. lab, sort of say, um, on Alibaba, uh, Tmall, and um, essentially we can we do a lot of testing there first before we bring it out. It's almost part of it, you know, whether it's entering a new category mm. or um, you know looking at um, you know different product types. Um, but that they're very advanced there. It, it ends up being, you know, difficult in some cases. And we do think there's an opportunity here, um, you know, to continue to expand it. But um, definitely a place where you can continue to refine and test and learn a marketplace. That's great. So from from your perspective as well, and, and given that you've also had been in similar roles in other organizations as well, I'm curious about some of the object objections you may have heard along the way from executive teams or brand teams around optimizing for marketplace shoppers and channels and how you as a you know e-commerce professional and and someone who's like flying the flag for it for the marketplace channels how have you effectively addressed those objections yes and it's you know continuing to educate um our leaders um and i and i think you know we've we're seeing great great progress and and just you know explaining and sharing and giving proof but um, I mean, honestly, it's, you know, e-commerce and um, marketplaces is still really small for our, like it, for the grand scheme of things within the food space. Um, and so it is hard to get the right assortment and the right investments. And 
and um, to build that muscle and that expertise that you really need, because it does take quite a bit of um, investment and in, in the right resources. Um, I think our strategy is continue to educate, share, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of industry experts that showcase, you know, where the trends are going, you know, where they're putting bets on different retailers. And it's clear that marketplaces is going to continue to grow. And so showing that trajectory of where the future is and educating why is this different and what's the advantages of it, but also those things that we need to think about as it develops and, mm. and at different stages, um, you know, whether it's an emerging market or emerging channel, you know, may have a different way that we play versus a more developed one. Um, and so we try to showcase that you don't have to run in all cases, but you do need to start playing. It has been helpful, but education consistent is honestly the yeah. biggest thing that we we do. Yeah. And what are you proud of so far at Mondelez, some, some of the things that you've been able to accomplish there? Yeah, I mean, the the, the team at Mondelez working on digital commerce has evolved so much over the last few years. And so being, I've been with Mondelez for about seven years now. And, um, and I was in, I was one of the first roles that was hired in this digital commerce space. And to see that transformation, you know, it's just, of course, I feel so proud because we are definitely leaders in this space and it, it didn't happen overnight. I mean, we were selling, trying to sell 12 packs of Oreos on Amazon, for example, which is how we ship to a store. That's clearly not going to appeal to most buyers, some, but not most. <laughs> um, and so just seeing the transformation of really, you know, being at such a really basic level and transforming to, a, you know, I, where I believe we are definitely leaders in this space has been great to see, particularly from getting the assortment right, helping our retailers um, through this journey, um, whether it's, you know, through the omni-channel side of it or really internally helping us get ready to sell to these shoppers um, has been uh, very rewarding. And then in the global space, you know, seeing, you know, ideas from one market to another um, has just been um, really awesome. Yeah. That is super. So what about some of the the challenges that we're facing in the marketplaces space? I, I think the biggest challenge is change is happening so fast. So the education that I mentioned, you know, you're educating people and then the next year it's totally different, you know, because the change is so rapid and there's new players. But I think um, besides the change, profitability is the number one thing that everyone talks about. The retailers talk about it, you know, brands talk about it, partners talk about it, right? So like in every facet you're trying to figure out, and consumers, of course, too, um, are trying to figure out how, where's the win, 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 you know, in this profitability mix um, and how do we make sure that we're bringing enough value to the consumer, but also making sure, you know, we're not eroding price too much. So um, I think that's the the yeah. hardest part of it. In our space, we also sell chocolate, which melts, right, in, in warm months. So yeah. you have to, we have another element. It's a low priced item, um, but you have to think about the extra needs with shipping um, that you don't have like in, you know, other categories. Um, and so that causes a layer of complexity. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I uh, was just having dinner with a few e-commerce um, folks earlier this week and um, it was a true grass is greener kind of situation. There were people with, you know, in, in the in the food category there who have multiple inventory like you or perishable and, you know, expiry dates and things like that. Um, and a different flavor, pardon the pun, 
of problems compared to the hard right. goods brands who are getting ripped off by cheap knockoffs coming factory direct. So like in the in the food category, that's less right. of a yep. problem. Um, but you've got some other ones. And so it is, you know, very some of these challenges are very category specific, but I, I would also venture to say that profitability is pretty much a yeah. universal uh, challenge everyone is Definitely. having. Cost of developing, making anything is going up. And the consumers want yeah. to pay less, but you know it's it's yes. um it's a challenge. So I think that's and the retailers you know, and then they less. and they need you. They want more <laughs> from you. <laughs> the retailers do. Yes. So you know there's only so much money mm. to go around. Um, but I think that's the yeah that's the biggest thing. You know, as we crack, mm-hmm. what's that you know value that consumers are willing to pay for? It helps you know mutually profitable. Um, those are the yep. the golden things that we're looking for. Like speaking of profitability, what what would you say to someone who says that the e-commerce channel is is unprofitable and and you know why should we continue to invest in a in a channel that is maybe not unprofitable but less profitable than a retail wholesale relationship? I mean, we get this question all the time, but marketplaces are more than a sales channel. And it is definitely a marketing and talking to your consumers, researching like all the things that we were talking about earlier. It's just as much of a, a channel for for marketers um, and to learn about you know products and trends and shoppers as it is to sell your products. So I think it's it, it's a different element, and so you have to say that this is not a traditional retailer. That's a good that 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 is a that's a complete answer by itself as well, and I really love that profitability is one one piece of it. That it's a marketing channel also, not just a distribution channel. I think going back to what you were saying about the path to purchase as well, it's still very difficult to understand unless you're doing those, you know, media mix modeling or path to purchase study to understand that someone may have discovered the brand first on Amazon and then purchased through a different channel um, and adding those things together. It is it is still very challenging to do that. Yeah, regularly. And I think the one other thing I would add is that, you know, consumers are looking for different things. So I think it really goes back to that understanding mm-hmm. the shopper that's there and finding mm-hmm. the value. It's so easy to just put anything on these sites, but if you can focus and putting on, um, you know, assortment that drives value to the consumer that's mutually profitable, it can be a profitable channel. So I think, you know, the two things mm-hmm. I would mention is, you know, you have to think of it as not just a sales channel, but also find those, um, you know, the products that are going to add value and drive incrementality to the category and um, add value to that retailer um, and our brands. And, and it, you'll start to see a more profitable mix. Um, but it does take focus and a little yeah, due diligence. That's a great point. So I'd like to pivot a little bit. We talked a lot of brass tacks and, and that's been really great. I'd love to hear a little bit more from your career story personally, because <laughs> we've got a lot of people who listen to the podcast who are either you know earlier in their careers and looking to get where you are or um, also people at, at an equivalent stage and looking to help you know the next generation or grow their teams, grow the capabilities. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you got your start in the e-commerce industry to begin with. Sure. So, I mean, I I was working at Newell Brands for about 13 years. And so I took a variety of roles and I'll, and I'll give a couple of different things. So I always raise my hand for something new. And I think that this 
helped me to just even get almost ready for the e-commerce space because it's constantly changing, as I mentioned earlier. And I, I was thrown a lot of jobs that of like, no one has figured this out yet. We see this big trend happening. And I was like, let me, let me do it. I like, I'm a very big, like love to solve a problem kind of person. But when I really got into the digital commerce space was about 10 years ago, I was selling premium strollers um, that we had brought over from Germany. They were custom uh, German strollers, Teutonia, if anybody knows that brand. Um, but we were we wanted to sell them online. And so we were selling them on Amazon. Imagine 10 years ago, selling custom strollers on Amazon. But we we had cracked it. We had figured it out. And, um, and that was my first kind of experience working with Amazon. And then I started to, um, they asked me to run the, our Graco business, which was our, our bigger business and, you know, really from, from the ground up. And, um, and those are the early days. It was one of the, the big brands and wild, wild, wild west. Wild west. <laughs> and I remember educating, <laughs> it still is. Um, but I remember educating, you know, whatever you have on the packaging you need to put online, you know, and, and then I came to Mondelez and it was the exact same thing um, <laughs> years mm-hmm. later. But it's, you know, this was one of the early industries and consumers were hungry for information. They were going to look for it. So it um, it really helped me um, really start in this, this space and was exciting because we were developing it with Amazon. But that was the big pivotal point was when I took that job to really lead it. I love that. And I love what you said about raising your hand for the big challenges we haven't fi- figured this out and you're like i'm i'm in there i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna raise my hand for this and it sounds like that was what really put you on the trajectory of like you know amazon this emerging channel and yeah that said that selling custom strollers on on amazon 10 years ago that would have been quite yeah, a challenge yeah so that's my, my big what? advice i always give people of two like just try mm-hmm. new things go for that job that um, looks interesting and maybe unique and different but also giving yourself a wide mm-hmm. variety of mix um and um mm-hmm. to just continue to learn and grow in different spaces fabulous and what about some of what have been some of your proudest accomplishments to date? You know, I, I knew all, you know, there was a, a moment where I was recognized in this like president's club for some of the work that I had done with with Amazon, um, with the growth that we had. It was you know huge and um, and the transformation that we had done. Um, and so that was, you know, a really proud moment. Um, and then, you know, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but you know, I've just seen such a big transformation at Mondelez. And every time I'm at a meeting and I and I see some of the things that we've talked about a few years ago coming to life, because some takes time. It's just, it's really rewarding um, to see that hard work of that education and, you know, really building the foundation to, to seeing it accelerate. And just like every day work um, has been really rewarding. Yeah. And what about um, team building? Obviously, you've got team that um, has helped to execute against all, all of that progress there. What kind of skills do you look for when hiring? And has that changed over time? That's a good point. I mean, I think in the, the digital commerce space, I, I I would say there's a few things that maybe have changed minorly, but I I always look for someone that has deep analytical understanding because you have to go deep and they have to be able to want to go deep um, to kind of because to see the trends, to see, understand what's needed, but then be able to, to simplify and understand um, the changes needed. So someone that is a little bit, I find in the e-commerce space, a little bit more detail oriented does help quite a bit, but able to synthesize the key messages and the key needs from a strategic perspective. So detailed, but strategic. Um, and 
also someone who is curious and um, is interested to see because it's just such a fast paced area and you have to want to learn um, about what is changing and what are these new things. So someone who's curious and, and hungry, right? Um, I think you see that, you know, come across that more than what their background shows. It's more of their, their drive and their interest. Yeah. Yeah. What about it? Maybe my perception is incorrect here. I'd love for you to, to tell me otherwise, but it seems like with often with a lot of the large CPG companies, um, they're often hiring from other large CPG companies. And so is that true? And if if yes, how can someone from outside break in if that's their objective? I mean, I think that there's there's some truth to that. I think there is this like, oh, can we get someone who has the expertise or that can bring something new to the table um, if they're hiring you know, from the outside? But I don't think it's necessarily the rule, only rule of thumb. I think, you know, if you, I mean, honestly, I think all companies are going to look for people who have unique skill sets and expertise that, you know, that we don't have internally. So I think that, you know, what you bring to the table that could be unique and to all want diverse talent, and that comes in so many different ways. And so I think it's, we just, we like, organizations need to keep pushing that diverse talent and diverse thinking and expertise and background. But I, I think some people gravitate towards what they know, but I, um, I think it's evolving. And I, you know, I would push to, to continue to evolve because different perspectives yep. and backgrounds really do help drive change in a positive way. Yep. My last question for you is, um, is about a topic or challenge in our world of e-commerce that isn't really getting the attention it deserves. Is there something that comes to mind is like, this is a big thing and no one's really taking it seriously or it's not really being talked about? Gosh, I, you know, I, I feel like people are pretty right on to what we're, we're talking about these days. I mean, we have some challenges that aren't really talked about a ton. I mean, I mentioned a little bit earlier about this meltable uh, space. Um, and, you know, for us, there is, it's complex to, to change our whole manufacturing to develop what we need for this channel. And I think, you know, um, a challenge that probably isn't talked about enough is like, how do we develop some of these with the right partners and capabilities? You have a lot of good people that are, are great at, you know, creating bundles, but they can't sell in marketplaces. You have a lot of great sellers that aren't good at bundling the right packs. And so, you know, we find that there is a lack of kind of finding sometimes that, that perfect partner that is good at creating the packs that are needed, you know, due to the economics of, of um, online, but also our experts mm. in selling on a marketplace. Mm. So that's something that I don't hear talked about as much. And maybe it's really unique for our specific category. But, um, you know, finding that it's like a new distributor slash um, partner that you need mm. for the real complex stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty interesting. That's really is like you talk about the, the least sexy part of the, the value chain. And that's about yeah. it. And uh, finding, you know, we, we can ask very frequently at Acadia for referrals to um, to 3PLs and, you know, on the, you know, moving boxes of stuff yeah. around side. And it's hard to find a, a vendor who has got a really good track record that everyone's happy with. It just seems to be a, it's an industry where it is, it's hard to be consistent 
all the time yeah. um and i i haven't really seen or heard too many people raving about their three pls or, or you know yeah. partners on and on that side because, when you add like shelf life yeah. and meltability but then offering a really good experience yeah. for the consumers and yeah. transforming the digital shelf on a regular basis you're like they, they just don't ex- you know it's very hard so i think yeah. there's an opportunity yeah. and the transparency <laughs> the transparency back to the supplier exactly. as well right inventory. So yeah, that's a very challenging I mean, in every space. market has different size. So, you know, the U.S. is a larger marketplace size, but you know, you go to smaller markets, it becomes a bigger challenge even because you can't do some of the stuff internally. Um, so you need a good partner. So that's, yeah, I think that's not talked about enough. That is a, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, just, I don't hear that all, all that often publicly, but it is a private question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Well, Colleen, is there anything else you want to leave the audience with today? You know, uh, I don't think so. I mean, I, I we covered quite a bit, which was uh, fun to talk about. Yeah. I mean, I think my my summary is, you know, be a champion of change, continue to understand the consumer, and um, you know, be curious. Mm. And um, you know, you know, it's going to keep changing, so it's good to continue to be curious and. Um, Let's see where things go. And buy more yes. Oreos. <laughs> Actually, well, this episode's coming out on October 10. Are you going to be running any Prime Big Deal Day uh, promotions? We will see. I know the team has some, <laughs> some plans. I don't know all the details, but um, I'm, okay. I'm certain there'll be several, um, some, several sales out there. Yeah. Yeah. My hack is like add a whole bunch of stuff to your cart and then you get the notification on the oh, day smart. if something <laughs> runs as a discount. So I'll be adding That's in. That's a great idea. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Colleen, thank you so much for joining us thank today. Thank you.